Well, good morning, Pillar family, uh, Pastor Kanan. And I want to open up by um, seeing if y'all remember something. In my generation, when I used to come home from school, we used to have uh, cartoons. Oh, I, you know, I used to put on the cartoons. My grandmama would give me a snack, and I would eat, and I would always put on cartoons. And there was one cartoon I used to always watch religiously, and, and this is going to tell if y'all, I don't know, generation gaps, right? Y'all ever heard of Animaniacs? Okay, Animaniacs was that show. I, I can't remember the name. Yak, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. That just came from on high. I didn't remember. I didn't write that down or nothing. Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, right? And I remember there was a segment on Animaniacs. The segment was a little girl, and the little girl's name was Mindy. And Mindy was notorious for asking a particular question. And she would continuously ask this question, and she would ask this question ad nauseum. And right when the person who she asking is about to blow up, she would say, okay, love you, goodbye. And she would walk away. Y'all remember that? Y'all don't remember Mindy? Y'all wildin'. Y'all don't remember Mindy. This is a great example of art imitating life. I know y'all are wondering, what's the question? I'm going to get to the question. This is a good example of art imitating life. There's a question that when it's asked and when it's pressed on, it drives you crazy. It drives me crazy. It drives just about everybody a little crazy. When this particular question is asked and somebody doesn't let up, they keep going. And usually it's, it drives us crazy because it's deep. Deep questions tend to drive us crazy, and they drive us crazy for multiple reasons. Sometimes it drives us crazy because we simply just don't want to go that, we don't want to think that hard. We don't want to consider the answer to that question. It's, it's sometimes, it's a simple question that has a profound answer oftentimes. Sometimes we're just lazy, we don't want to answer it. But other times we don't want to answer that question because we ourselves are afraid of what we're going to find down there in the pit when we get asked that. And, and somebody, somebody plunges us down into that. We get nervous when people ask us this question because we know that our honest, unfiltered words is about to expose our heart. Have you ever, I don't know if you guys have experience with people that you talk to and you know that your words are exposing things about you and you know that that person, that particular person, picks up on that stuff? And they're, and they're gonna, what are they gonna do if they're a good friend? They're gonna, they're gonna push on that just a little bit. Like, whoa, 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 what's that? When you said that, what does that mean, right? Y'all know that? Y'all got that person in mind? Don't, don't say their name. It's a one-word question, small yet powerful. It's deep, but it's not complicated. What's the question? Why? Why? It's the innocent question that your kids ask you before they go to bed at night. Why can't I stay up a little bit longer, right? Why can't I have some sugar or something sweet to eat before I go to bed? It's also the question that counselors like to ask you when they see something and they want you to see what they see. And so they say, why? Now, with counselors, I'd be having a pet peeve because they'd be inconsiderate sometimes. They don't, they don't have any tact, no gentleness. They're not considering the circumstances. You know, is this a good time to plunge that deep? You know, whatever. But that's a, a good question. They say, why? Why is a hard question to answer? Why is a hard question to answer? It's easy to, ask, it's easy to answer the question why when it's something that's insignificant, something that's just simply pragmatic. Why do you like the particular color pen that you write with? That's easy. You know, I like blue. So I, I write with blue. It's simple, right? Why is, why is that ice cream the best flavor? It's because cookies and cream got everything else on smash. This is what it is, right? Simple. But when somebody asks you, why did you marry that person? Right? Husbands and wives, y'all had that conversation before, and it's like, ooh, it's not getting a little hairy. Because things you can say and the things you don't want to say, and you don't want to make it seem too, too trivial, but you don't want to be overly deep, and then all of a sudden you got real deep real quick. Or why did that make you angry when I, when I said that thing, right? 
all of a sudden, that simple, easygoing question, if I was just to push on that a little bit, you'd find yourself very uncomfortable because the question why has power. Question why addresses the motives of our heart. That's why it's uncomfortable. And the motives of our heart are deep down within us. Judging one's actions without understanding of the motives of the heart can be very deceptive. Because the same action could be considered good or evil based on the motive. Look at your cross-reference sheet, Genesis 50-20. It's one of the first ones on there. And that should give you a quick example of the differentiation between an evil motive and a good motive. Because when Joseph's brothers threw Joseph into the well, the jo Joseph's brothers meant to do harm to Joseph, but God desired what? To do good with the same action. In the economy of God, sin occurs at the heart level before it manifests itself with actions or with, on the behavioral level. Behavior modification is good. Okay, I want y'all to hear that again because for some reason we've over-gospelized everything to where behavior modification is bad. No, behavior modification is good, but it's not good if it's alone. Behavior modification should be preceded by heart change. That's the only way behavior modification is surefire not going to be a sinful response, even though the physical action on the exterior could look like a really good thing. I call them damnable good works. You ever heard me say that? When you hand out food to somebody and you can't wait to Instagram that joint? Who is getting the glory for your good work? It's great to hand stuff to people. Feed people. Wonderful. But I ask the question, who gets the glory on the Instagram post? You get all the likes. Ain't nobody saying praise God. They're saying, oh, good job, Chris, or whatever your name would be. This morning, we're going to continue in the book of Malachi, and we're going to see the words of the people of Judah betray them. What they thought was a legitimate indictment against God is nothing more than exposing their motives for what they are, and they're sinful. So go ahead and open in your copy of God's Word to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to continue in our series called True Worship, the book of Malachi. We're in chapter 3, and we're going to consider three verses today, verse 13, uh, 13, 14, no, 14, 15, 16. I got it confused on my thing. I think it's verse 14. Oh, it's 13 through 16. I think I'm doing the whole thing. All right. It says, this is God speaking. He says, your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. You ask, what have we spoken against you? Stop there. Stop right there. We good? We there? Y'all there? You, you saw that text? God is acknowledging the harshness of the people of Judah toward him, both in action and in verbal, verbal uh, abuse. And this is something that we can all relate to. Is there anybody that you dearly love that have said things to you with the intent of cutting you? The intent of hurting you, somebody you love, somebody you give your heart to, somebody you serve on a daily basis, somebody whom you really care about, and you know that the words that they're saying to you, they're saying them for the, for the specific purpose of hurting you. You ever experienced that? Like, that's hard. When somebody you know and you love and you care for, they're, they're, they're hurting you. The people of Judah are verbalizing. They're saying words with the intent of hurting God. They're saying things and something deep within them uh, is, is, is detestable to God. They're digging their verbal nails into God. 
And when people dig their verbal nails into somebody, it's usually a teller of a tragic, sick, twisted heart in the person. Because there's almost no instance when you need to dig your verbal nails into somebody. But this is what we see the people of Judah doing towards God. They're digging in on him. First, they started sacrificing lame and sick animals to God, and now they're following up with harsh words. God had reminded them earlier in the book about the covenant that he established with them, how he loved them, how he desired them, and, and how he chose them above any other nation. He's like, Judah, Israel, you're mine. I chose you over Edom, which is the, the, the nation being contrasted with, with, with Judah and Malachi. I chose you over them. And yet you still despise my name, he says. They, they, they still wasn't feeling God. Then God was like, no matter how disrespectful, immoral, no matter how, how evil you guys get, I'm never going to forsake you. You will be my people. I will be your God. Now, you, you're going to catch the discipline for doing all this evil, immoral stuff. But I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to destroy you. Even though they are faithless, God will remain faithful to his covenant, right? But the people of Judah are like, yeah, that's great. That's good. They remain unfazed. They're still not satisfied with God. Why? Why are they acting this way towards God? I think there's several reasons, but I think we're going to see the bottom line in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Whew. We got to read verse 14 slow, y'all. Look what it says. This is what God says. God says, you have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? Ooh, stop right there. Did y'all read that? Oh my goodness. Look carefully at those words. You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained from keeping your, his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies. If we take a look at that verse carefully, we're going to notice two things. We're going to notice, firstly, that we relate to that. We relate to that. Your actions may, I mean, your words may not have said it, but your actions have showed it. All of us have thought in our minds at some point that it is useless to serve God. You've wondered and said, what is the point of serving you anyway? Right? Come on now, I ain't the only one. So I can say it with boldness. I know y'all been there. I've been there too. It's useless to serve God. What am I doing? Why am I even here? Right off the bat, we can relate to this verse. The second thing we should notice about this verse is that the words of this question exposes the motives of Judah's heart. They're asking a why question, and it's exposing Judah's heart wide open for everybody to see. Words like this are an indication that Judah desired to get something from God that they thought or, or considered to be useful. They say, God, you're useless. That means he's not doing something that they want. And so instead of them saying that he's useful, useful, they say that he's useless. God didn't do something they wanted. The question is, what does Judah want? Judah wants the same thing that you want and that I want and that people want. Judah wanted economic prosperity. Judah wanted freedom from oppression. Judah wanted power. They wanted pleasure. Fill in the blank with the thing that you want. That's what Judah wanted because Judah, uh, Judah is made up of people and y'all people. And since the dawn of creation, people haven't been the same. 
We didn't change. Our hearts are the same. So what is the thing that you want? They want the same thing. And guess what? They're not all bad things because that's the temptation, right? You shouldn't want anything. No, that's not biblical. You should want stuff. It's okay to want something. They're not all bad things. Some of them are sermon series worthy things that we'll preach about over, over the course of time. It's not that God cannot or does not provide these things. He can provide those things that you want. He done provide those things that you wanted. And he will in the future provide things that we desire, things that we want. But here's a question for you to consider. I got a lot of questions in this because we're talking about motives of the heart, right? Are these things a means to satisfy your adulterous heart apart from God? We're going to get back to that question again. Before we get any deeper, I want to answer the question. Why was Judah acting this way? You ready? Judah was acting this way because God wasn't giving them what they thought they deserved. You want to put it in a, in a quote, a quotable? God didn't work. Okay, that's Judah's position. God, you don't work. You ever hear them people try God? That's the mentality. Try him. He works. But with Judah, God didn't work. I know you felt this way before. I know y'all have felt, and y'all have said that quote in your own words before. You said, God doesn't work. You know how I know? Because you've been faithful in, in killing the flesh. You've gone to church every Sunday. You've given. You've given your time, your talents, your treasures. You've served every week. You're faithful. And now you say, okay, God, reward me for being holy. I did what I was supposed to do. Now you come through in the clutch like you're supposed to. The thing I want, bring it. That's how God works, right? Look what they said in the text. Look at verse 14. You have said it is useless to serve God. Then they say, what have we gained by keeping his requirements? and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies. Stop there again. They were sick of not getting what they thought they deserved. Oh, sinful humanity has this complex. Well, we deserve stuff all of a sudden. We just want God to give us stuff all of a sudden, and they have the same complex here. God said, instituted a sacrificial system where you give a perfect animal and, and sacrifice to him. And so they go, oh, checkmate, we done gave you the animals. It says, cool. And then he says, oh, I want you to give a tenth of your income to help sustain the temple. Oh, cool, check, tithe, great. But the animals they were sacrificing were lame and blind and, and mauled and mangled. And the money they were giving, it wasn't the full tent that they were supposed to give. Their actions were telling on their heart. And now their words are telling on their heart. And oftentimes we think we're doing better than what we actually are. Somewhere in this text, and, and this is just as I, as I read the flow of the passage, Sometimes as I read this, I think the people of Judah really think that they're doing what God wants them to do to some degree. And it's crazy because you think you are too. And I think I am too. We really think we're doing better than what we are oftentimes. And then we think we're supposed to be rewarded for our actions. Like, we're supposed to be rewarded for doing what we're supposed to do. Y'all know you don't reward your kids for brushing their teeth. They're supposed to brush their teeth, right? You don't reward your, your neighbor because they went to the bathroom and washed their hands. No, you're supposed to wash your hands, right? It's just what, it just comes with the, the nature of the business. You wash your hands after you use the potty, right, kids? Right, kids? 
Wash y'all's hands. Every day and every night, brush, brushy, brush. If y'all don't got kids, y'all just don't know about that. That, that's, that song's on. For some reason, we think we're supposed to be rewarded for honoring God. You think that. You think you're supposed to be rewarded for honoring God, don't you? Why? Why? Are you special because you honored God the way he desired him? Is worthy of being honored, so you deserve to be. You want that. We, we come through, God. Like, I did what you asked me to do. What, what's up? What did God say in Malachi chapter 1, verse 14? In your cross-reference sheet, you'll see it there. What did, what did God say? He said, I am a great king. This isn't a reward system. I'm a king says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is what you're supposed to do with a king. This isn't extra sauce on top. This is what it is. You honor the king. Period. God is supposed to be honored because he's God and he's worthy of worship, inherently worthy of worship. But you see, we got this complex within us where all of a sudden God has to give us something in order to earn worship to him and ascribe glory to him. No, I'm a king, he says. You worship me irrespective of what you think of me. I am God. They wanted what they wanted so bad that God's glory was clouded by their motives. They wanted what they wanted so bad that God's glory, what he is worthy of, is clouded by what they want. You would think they're talking, you would think that, that Malachi is writing to the 21st century American church, wouldn't you? You would swear he's talking to you right now, because he is. What we want is clouding God's glory. They weren't giving God, I mean, they weren't giving to God out of gratitude for what he has done. They were giving to God out of selfish ambition. Because that's what the reward system that I spoke of earlier essentially is. It's a selfish, ambitious way of coming up. We're going to dive more into that. They didn't deliver on fulfilling this I mean, sorry, when God didn't deliver on fulfilling their selfish ambition, they questioned worshiping him altogether. That's what happened. When God doesn't deliver on the thing you told him to deliver on, all of a sudden you think you're justified in worshiping, you're questioning worshiping him. Is he really worth it? He didn't give me what I asked for. Ah. That was a little scary just now. It was all slow. I was like, Lord? But you think about that, right? Ooh, God giving illustrations. Have you not gazed at the heavens and understood that he's the creator of the stars that twinkle at night? Woo! Woo! It's all right, baby. Don't worry. We're we going to hear anyway. 
We're going to hear anyway. See, it's over. God bless. Y'all listen to this. God, don't worry about it, baby. Don't, don't worry about nothing. God is no genie whose lamp we rub with prayer and out, out pops what we want. Remember Pastor Eric said this morning in the very beginning, he said, sometimes I get it twisted. Like I go to God like I'm the boss and he's the servant. Yeah, that's what's happening in our passage. The temptation of our heart is to abandon God if he doesn't give us or provide us the thing that we want or the thing we feel we deserve. That's the heart's temptation to abandon him because he didn't give us what we want or what we deserve. And if our heart doesn't get what we want from God, the sinful heart is satisfied going anywhere else to get it. The motives of the heart are, are tucked deep, deep within. You'll see that in your cross-reference sheet, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. You can read that later. When we see someone's actions before, uh, I'm sorry, we see someone's actions way before we can determine the motives of their heart. Because motives only seem to surface in like three different categories or, or different times when your motives really surface. Your motives surface when you don't get what you want. That's when your motives come out. That's when they're, they're visible for people to see. You didn't get what you want. And the way you respond will show what it is you were looking to get in the first place. Okay, and so if we come here, for example, and we pray in the morning, right, and then we ask God to bless all this technology so people at home can, can, can hear it, if, I, if that doesn't work and I get angry, I have to dig deep in the question of why am I angry right now? Is it God's glory is being hindered or is it something else? We look incapable, incapable. We look a certain way now. Because our stuff's hiccuping online, right? There's a, there's a deeper question that has to be asked. So our motives surface when we don't get what we want. They surface when we're going through a very hard circumstance, and I'll explain that in a minute. And they surface when you're alone and you think nobody can see what you do. Those are when the motives of your heart tend to, tend to surface. That's what they say, you know, that's when your true colors come out under those circumstances. And that's because during those times, you're stripped from this protective layer of comfort that forces you to rely on what you truly trust in those moments. The desires of our heart can lead us to do some egregious things in order to get what it wants. When you do something that's sick and egregious, you're doing it because the desires of your heart are leading you to that position. Y'all know what the heart says all the time, 24-7? Y'all know what it says, right? I want it and I want it now. That's what your heart always says. Always. For everything. It wants what it wants and it wants it now and it's going to lead you to do whatever it needs to lead you to do in order to get what it wants. That's what your heart's going to do. Sometimes your heart wants appreciation. Sometimes it wants respect. Sometimes it wants to be wanted and it will lead you to do whatever it takes to get those things. Let me explain those three things. Let me just tease those three out. There's more. You know there's some people who practice self-loathing? Everything they do is horrible. And, and they, and they I'm, this, this is me, okay? I'm, I'm talking to me, right? Everything they do is bad and, and, oh, I can never do it. And it's so bad and I can't do it. And what are you doing? You're trying to lead and manipulate people into giving you some kind of praise so that you, your heart can feel appreciated. Because what you wanted was appreciation. 
That's what you wanted in the first place. So you came in with the sad, oh, man, woe is me. Though. And as soon as somebody said, no, nah, man, you good, all of a sudden you got that little, that little, mm-mm, that's what I needed. Yep. Right? That's what I was after in the first place. Yep. Or how about that person that keeps side-eyeing you, looking at you twisted? And all of a sudden you feel that, that rage. This is me again, y'all. Woo! Put myself on blast. Keep looking at you twisted, right? And you're like, what you, what you looking at me for? Like, what's good, son? Like, what? I'm holy, but, you know what I mean? Like, what, 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 what is that? What, what, is, what am I desiring? What's the motive of my heart? The motive of my heart is respect. And my heart desires to do whatever it takes in order to, in my fallen mind, to get what I thought I deserved. Respect. Give me that respect. Don't look at me like that. I don't know, maybe I'm just from that place. Y'all ain't from that place. You know, your, your heart can also lead you to rush into unhealthy relationships, sensual relationships even. Because somewhere deep, it's not even that you want to be in a sensual relationship. No, you just want to feel wanted. You just, just want to feel wanted. You want to feel appreciated for the first time. You feel that. Somebody wants me. And so your heart, wanting to be wanted, gets a little taste of it from this. And it's going to throw you headlong into it. That's what your heart does. I want it, and I want it now. In all these, these instances, you're the idol. You're the idol. Not those things. You're the idol. And, 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 and the respective uh, motivations drove you to find an object that will satisfy those desires. You know how we say alcohol's the idol? Alcohol's not the idol. It's the object to please the idol. You're the idol. Okay, alcohol is the object, you're the idol being pleased, and the desired motive that's stirring it, that's, that's feeding it, is your desire to escape from reality, maybe. That makes sense? Or maybe your job is the object. Your job's not the idol. You're the idol. You're the one desiring something. You're the one benefiting from whatever it is the object, which is the job, is providing. And what is it? Maybe it's corporate success. Maybe it's money. Anger. You're still the idol, even when in anger. Anger is just a manifestation. Idol, you're the one being feared. Why? Because you have this thing where you feel like you need to be in control. Everybody's looking at you. So you got to have control. and you got to show that power or that force. There's many different ways this, this boat can float. The motives of your hearts are powerful and will lead you to do anything, anything to be satisfied. The truth of, holla at me. The truth of James 4 should speak out here. Look, at, look in your cross-reference sheet. I want your eyes to see what my words are going to say, what God's word said in James 4, verses 1 through 3. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot con- obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Here's the kicker, verse 3. You ready? You ask and do not receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. God done answered your prayer, bro. Sis? No. No. But it's a holy cause, Lord. No. No. 
But Lord, you gifted me to do this. No. I said no, or wait, or maybe later. But you know us, we can't accept that, right? So what do we do? Heart saying what? I want it, and I want it now. I'm going to go somewhere that's going to let me do this then. Is that not what we do? I'm going to find a way to go ahead and get this thing in. We some sick, twisted people, y'all. You know how I know y'all do it? (laughs) Because I do it. I'm going to ask y'all these questions. And if you want to write them down, write them down. But I honestly want you to reflect on these questions. And I mean that with all of my heart. Please reflect on these questions. They're simple. They're deep, but they're not complicated. First question is this. What are you asking God for? And I want you to consider why. Like, what, what are you, and be honest, okay? We tend to self-project something that we, you start saying holy stuff. No, no, what are you really asking God for? What are your prayers saying you're asking God for? And then, and I want you to ask, why am I asking God for this thing? Not saying it can't be good and pure. It can be. But if you don't take the time to plunge those depths, you won't know. And you'll find yourself getting caught up later. Second question. Oh, this question hurt me. Oh, it's my, my hurt y'all. This question hurt me. If God gave you what you asked for, then he disappeared from the scene, would you still be good? I've been praying every day for this thing. Crying. Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please. He gives it to you and then he's ghost. You still good? Third question. And this is for those who think they love God. I want you to really consider this. Why do you think you love God or follow God at all? Your faith will become this rote traditionalism. If you don't consider this, why do I follow you, Lord? What is it compelling me to you? What's happening here? Soon, if you don't consider questions like those three, you just find yourself going through the motions, kind of like the people of Judah in the book of Malachi whose heart is completely detached from God, though they're doing religious stuff. Those are serious questions meant to reveal the motives of your heart. They're expressing whether or not you truly love God or if you've been following God purely out of that genie effect. They're why questions. Because one must have pure motives if God is to accept your actions as true worship. Okay, you heard that? You must have pure motives if God's to accept your worship, your, your actions as true worship. Now, let me confess something to you. I'm so jacked up and sick, I don't even know sometimes when my, my offerings are pure. Okay, I'm just being honest with y'all. Like, I get it, I get it convoluted when, when am I trying to, to big myself up and when am I trying to honestly be a good communicator of God's word, right? Or, or, or whatever it may be for you, but I'm just being telling y'all my stuff. I struggle sometimes with knowing, is this a real genuine offering or is this just 
me trying to be holy so I can get something later. Like, that's a hard road to go down. That's why the, quirk, the, the question why is deep and it's hard. I'm like, I don't really want to go down there because there's something down there that's probably going to show itself. And I don't really know if I want anybody to touch that. So I'm going to just leave that covered. So we do. And so one of the practices I've gotten accustomed to doing is, is, is asking God, I quote Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. I ask God to search me and find if there's any sinful way in my heart. Right? I'm, I'm literally asking him, please find it because I can't see it. It's, it's even hidden from me. And then before I do anything for God, I ask him this and I pray this silently. I, I ask him to make it genuine. I, I actually ask him to do it for me. because I don't know if I'm even capable of doing it. I don't know if this resonates, but that's real for me. Like, we getting ready to go serve somebody, go help somebody, go do something. All right, Lord, I need you to make this genuine from my heart because I know I'm going to do this from, somehow I'm going to twist this. Can you, can you intervene and just make it? And I literally want to make it genuine because I, I feel like I, don't help me make it. No, you make it genuine to my soul that I, this is purely for your glory. I'll play whatever role, whatever position you want me to play. I'll play it because your glory is what we want. Christian, I want you to hear me carefully. God will always be useless to you if the only reason you serve him is to get whatever and attain whatever your heart's desire is. He will always be useless to you if the only reason you serve him is to get whatever it is your heart wants. He will always be useless to you. Our heart posture needs to be one of gratitude and not greediness. We serve God out of an abundance and appreciation for what God has done for us. See, just like Judah, God has done amazing things for us. But it's funny, we tend to easily forget the past. Right? When the tyranny of the present and urgent is here, we forget what God has done. And we minimize the great things that he has done because we need more, 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 more right now. That's what we do. We're sick, selfish people. All of us are. And we're, all, we're constantly that way. I'm constantly that way. God has been merciful to Judah, even though they've sinned over and again. God has been merciful to you, even though you have sinned over again. You know how he's been merciful? Y'all are breathing air on your own volition. None of y'all are on the iron lung right now. Oh, but that's, I'm, I deserve that. I'm good. I, I take care of my body. Get out of here with that. God has been kind. He's been merciful. He's displayed his love for you in countless ways. In the most infamous and efficacious way that God has displayed his love to you is the way that we discount the most. And it's the sending of his son Jesus for the redemption of our soul. He said, God saved us from God. We think we're escaping God's wrath. And he saved us from his own wrath by sending his son to absorb that wrath for all who come to believe and trust in him. But that was the past, though, right? It's funny. Your salvation isn't past tense by itself. Yes, it happened in the past, but it's working itself out in the present and it ends up with a future reality, an ongoing presence of God for all of eternity. Jesus is sacrificed upon a cross. You, um, uh, all right. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. I'm not endorsing this movie. But when I watched The Passion of the Christ, and I think it was my sin that did that, it drives me to a place of appreciation where I can no longer ignore what Jesus has done on my behalf. Because it's, 
it's easy to read over the verses that say that Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. It's easy to say that. That's a prophecy in Isaiah. It says he was beaten beyond recognition. You know what that word actually means for recognition? It means human semblance. He didn't look like a person no more. They beat him up so bad. But we didn't see it. It's almost like it's not real. And these movies done desensitized us to that stuff. But a man, a perfect man, the God man, who didn't have to do that, did that. But we can't give him worship because he didn't give me the little the thing I was asking for the other day. We some petty people. I'm so petty. Romans 5.9 is that God proves his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, that's not in your cross-reference sheet, but write it down if you want. Christ died for us. Romans 5.9. Guys, hear me on this. We don't serve God to get stuff from God. You don't worship God to get stuff from God. Okay, you don't. You worship and serve God because he's Lord. It's what he is. You serve God because we love him. But even then, we only love him because he first loved us. We don't serve God to get stuff from God. We serve God out of gratitude for everything he's already done for us. And instead of God giving us stuff, you know what he gives us? He gives us himself. And then when God gives, him, gives us himself, you know what tends to come? Stuff. But we done got it backwards. What kind of stuff am I talking about? You get salvation. You get joy. You get peace. You get meaning. You get satisfaction. You get protection. You get a family. You get hope. You get life. You get redemption. The stuff isn't our portion. The Lord is our portion. And if he's our portion, we get stuff. But when we get stuff, when, we, when his stuff is our portion, we forfeited the God who gives the stuff. Because we're sold out on thinking the very thing that we've been praying for is the very thing we need. And God's like, nah, B, I got something for you. Something else. You don't get it. You don't understand it. You cannot see it. My ways are greater than yours. What I need you to do is remember what I've done and trust the kid. I got you. And that doesn't mean prosperity all the time either. It doesn't mean that job. You know when, when God said that to Paul? He said, I got you. And then what did he say? Yeah, you about to get persecuted, B. You got years of persecution. You got a hard life ahead of you because you're going to be mine. I'm going to use you for my glory. Nah, God, I ain't feeling you no more, man, because, you know what I mean, I ain't, trying to, I ain't trying to hear that. Selfish, sick people we are. Lamentations 3. It's funny you read from that today, Derek. Lamentations chapter 3. Look at your cross-reference sheet. Let your eyes see what God's word says. Lamentations 3, verse 22 through 24. Because... Of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. Stop there. That's the only reason why none of you have perished right now. Because of the Lord's faithful love, whether you accept it, acknowledge it, or not, you exist because of his faithful love. Verse 23, I mean, continue, right? Because of the Lord's faithful love, you have not perished. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But look at verse 24. Don't forget verse 24. Look at verse 24. Highlight verse 24. The Lord 
is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. But if God is nothing more to you than a means to an end, you put your hope in circumstances that are fickle at best. Sometimes I pray Isaiah 58 too. See that in your cross-reference sheet? I pray this to be a reality for me, and I pray it to be a reality for you. It says this. It says, they seek me day after day in delight to know my ways. Oh, gosh, that's what I want. I want a delight to know his ways, right? Like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God, especially when it becomes easy to abandon the justice of God because it's more comfortable to not fight on behalf of the justice of God. That's coming. But then look at the rest. Look what it says. Whew. Look at the rest of this. It says, they ask me for righteous judgments, but then look what they get. Look what the, They delight in nearness to God. That's our delight. That's our portion, that God would even come a little bit close to us. Our text, Malachi chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained from keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord? So they've revealed their heart, and now we're going to see the result of their twisted thinking. It's the same result that we have, and we've gone over it a week ago or two weeks ago from Psalm 73. Look at verse 16. So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only, do the, not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. We spoke about that a little bit last week or the week before from Psalm 73. That's exactly the, psalm, the, psalm, the psalmist issue. He's looking around. He's like, yo, God, what's up? All these people who are blatantly doing evil are, are just benefiting and they're coming up in life and they're getting all the things that they want, all the things that they desire. What's up with that? And the psalmist had to come to a reality. When did he come to the reality? When he beheld and got close to God. And then he realized that their end is bitter. The reality is no one will escape the judgment of God. That's what Revelation 20, 11 to 15 is teaching us. The prosperity of the wicked is a facade at best. All they have is more expensive problems than you. You, want, you know, we want that, we want that money. Y'all know Biggie was right, right? More money. More problems. It's a heck of a lot more expensive to insure something expensive, ain't it? Man, red tape got thick. To the people of Judah, so caught up in wanting to be prosperous that they've forgotten all that the Lord has done. Look at verse 13 and 14 again of Malachi chapter 3. I keep repeating it on purpose because I want it to sink in. This is you. This is me. You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained Key words, what have we gained? What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? Now, we got to ask the question, not what did they gain or what did they want? The question here now from this verse is what did God want them to gain from walking in accordance with his law? We don't ask that question, though, right? It's what do we want? What do we want? What do we want? We never ask God, what was it that you wanted for us by putting this law in place? What was the purpose of that in the first place? Because maybe if we understand why God put something in place, then we can appreciate the result of whatever's happening from it being, from it existing. Did I say that clearly? It's clear to me, but I don't, that's clear? You'll give me something, I can't see your face. Okay. The purpose of God's law 
was to show us how exceedingly sinful we are and how especially needy we are for a Savior. That's why it's there. The law exists to show us our flaws. That's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 2, 15 and 16. It's there to show us our flaws. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 through 25, Romans 3, 2, 3, 20. The Apostle Paul tells us that the law of God, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law was a, a, a temporary reality that was meant to lead us to one thing. It was meant to point us to one thing. I don't know if you guys know, but the entirety of the Bible is, 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 exists to point you to one thing, to one person, Jesus. The whole text is for that purpose. I didn't say it. John 5, 39 says it. Luke 24, verse 24, uh, verse 24, verse 27 and 44 say it. The whole scriptures, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the, the prophetic writings, the law, it's all to point you one place to Jesus, to a Savior, because you try to obey the law because the law is a reflection and representation of the holiness of God, and you couldn't follow it because you're not holy. Your motives are horrible, and you sin a lot, right? And so you can't do it. So woe is me. I'm now pushed away from God's presence, but then he sends his son, and the purpose of the law was to show you that you need him. That's why it's there. The law's. that's why Paul says, no, the law's not bad. Law's great. You understand why it's there? It shows you you're the worst, and it shows you he's the best, and you need him. Go to him. Run to him as fast as you can. The law was there to distinguish God's people from the rest of the world. The law was there to ensure and protect the seed of Abraham until the fullness of time came. There's a lot of reasons why the law was there, but the end purpose of the law was to lead you to Christ. To show us our need for a savior. The one who saves all who turn from their sin and trust in his name. That's what it does. And on the third day, he rose from the dead to show that his salvation was real and that it was right. And so Pillar Church, why do we at Pillar worship and serve King Jesus? Here's why. You see this in your cross-reference sheet. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega. That's why we serve him. Not, no, he is the, he's the beginning and the end, period. He is the author of life. He is the, the perfecter of our faith. He's faithful and true. He's the indescribable gift. He's the sacrifice for our sins. He's the one who sets us free from our sins. He is the resurrection and the life. He is our only hope. So you have to ask yourself the question, what's your why when it comes to Jesus? Why do you or why don't you worship him? And you got to think about that. What objects do you what objects of worship do you turn to when your idolatrous heart wants some attention? Think about that. And I want to tell you this, that whatever that object is that you turn to, to fulfill the desires of your idolatrous heart, will never satisfy that idolatrous heart. It's an empty pit. That's why it starts with a little hit. It goes from a little hit to a little bit something stronger with a little lace, something, some lace in it, right? And then all of a sudden, we're moving. And all of a sudden, we're moving. And all of a sudden, we're moving. Why? It's insatiable. You think you just can't satisfy it. It can't be quenched. Your heart's going to say the same thing. I want, I want, and I want it now. That's what it's going to do. And until it's, until it's full of God, it's going to continue to do it. And as soon as you turn from God, it's going to do it again. Christian, it's going to happen to you. 
You're going to turn from him and you're going, I want, I want, I want, I want. But you have the wherewithal being spiritually made alive to know, like, wait a minute, I'm being fed lies. I must come back to, to, to old truth. You want to know what Jesus said? I'm going to leave you with what Jesus said. John chapter 6, verse 35. This is what Jesus said. He says, I am the bread of life. All of life. I'm the bread. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. Nobody. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He's the satisfier of our soul. If you believe in Jesus, I'm going to tell you this. Turn back to him. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I'm telling you this. Turn to him. He's the thing. He's the one. He's the being that we all need. That's what we have common in this, in this warehouse. We need Jesus because he's the sustainer of life. Father, I pray that you would draw us ever nearer to you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, and that our hearts would not be deceived into believing falseness. Our hearts would not be deceived into chasing after the wind. Our hearts would not be partially satisfied with the things that this world has to offer. No, I pray that that our hearts would be satisfied by the bread of life. And I pray that the question that Mindy asks and the question that we ask today is, why do we serve you? Why do we follow you? We don't run from that question. We run into that question because we want our faith to have fidelity to it. Don't do that hollow faith. Why, Lord? Why do I follow you? Why do I believe your word? Why do I trust in you? And what we will find is that it's more you than us. Something supernatural took place. It wasn't a thing of logic. It wasn't you were the only thing going. It's that you opened our eyes to have faith in the king. Father, would you open the eyes of those whose eyes are closed this morning to the king? Would you awaken, give spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead in this place? And I pray that as we sing these songs, you would resurrect, that you would awaken, quicken souls to worship you, not because you're going to do something for them, but because you are God. And we have a heart of gratitude for the redemption of our soul. Let us not be like the people of Judah, but let us be like the people of God who worship you in spirit and in truth. And all God's people said, amen.